You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. To Toronto Sport Matters podcast number 27. With me, as always, is Christian Wolfgang Graffin. How's it going, guys? Unfortunately, uh, the other co host, Gregory Urshadis, isn't able to join us today. He's on a flight to Fresno, California, partaking in the international Pokemon Go tournament. We're literally talking about a hundred and thousand people all spread out in some sort of fucking field collecting Bulbasaurs and Squirtles and all that bullshit. Greg loves Pokemon and Pokemon Go, so uh, show him some love. I'm just kidding. That, that's the secret to him being so fit. Exactly. Wow. He's, he's roaming the fields at night, collecting little Pokemon on his phone. Uh, replacing him today, though, is the man himself. Guys, welcome back to the show, Javon Begart. Give it up. A little, little round of applause. <laughs> Javon, Javon, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good. It's nice to see you guys. It's been a while since I've been on your guys' show, but it's always a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you back, my friend. Alrighty, so uh, we missed last week, unfortunately, a couple technical issues with the recording studio. We are in the midst of setting up our own studio, which is very exciting news for us. Um, nice. So weird, weird couple weeks. Uh, I guess Boston Celtics won 16 in a row. The LA Clippers have lost nine in a row. Toronto Raptors are second in the East. And apparently LeVar Ball and Donald Trump have sort of had some verbal warfare back and forth. Um, we're not going to touch base on that, but we are going to touch base on Toronto Raptors basketball. Christian Graffin, what do you want to say about the Raptors' recent performance sitting second place in the Eastern Conference, 11-5 in a four-year game win streak. Well, they've been playing, like you just said, they've been playing so well lately. Uh, These four games, um, there's a few times I feel like uh, at the beginning of the year, it's almost like the Raptors are trying to find themselves. Uh, For me, the big breaking point, I think one of the Raptors said it post-game in an interview, but the game against Boston, where they ended up losing, uh, was kind of a defining point for them. They decided to almost turn their season around because of that game, based on what they saw from Boston and how they basically went all-out effort to win a game. And I think what Toronto's going to have to do, especially that second unit, is if they're going to win, the second unit has to come out fighting as hard as, basically as hard as we've seen Siakam play. Uh, Everyone's noticed it, but it's got to be all effort all the time. And that's the way the Raptors are going to win. Uh, it's a completely different team than last year. And I think that's the, that's a huge thing. Uh, a lot of preseason talk was that the Raptors are placed in sixth, so the Raptors are placed in fifth preseason because oh, they're pretty much the same team as last year. But our entire second unit is so young and they run the floor so well. Uh, it's been a complete, that's the result of these last four games for me, other than DeMar, of course, playing completely out of his mind, uh, getting player of the week, of course, sixth time in his career. So, uh, for going forward as well uh, with the Knicks uh, tonight, uh, it's going to be I for me. I think it's going to be another win. They smashed them last time, 107-84 at home. Uh, the Raptors are looking great right now. 
Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I think the biggest cause for concern, what we were kind of talking about in the summer, was the depleted bench. You're losing guys, vets, you know, who can provide not only offense, but, you know, even defensive stability coming off the bench in the second unit. And we're seeing the emergence of a lot of young guys that we really didn't really think would turn a corner of the season. We're also talking about how deep the bench is this season. You know, we're talking about Norman Powell and DeLon Wright missing the last few games. DeLon Wright, unfortunately, going to miss a month, I believe. A month, yeah. And Norman Powell coming back to night finally thank god it's only a month i was just saying this earlier but but, it could have been eight but going to this we have enough depth to keep the team afloat on the second unit uh javon who just almost dropped his smoothie uh javon what do you think about the raptors recent performance what are your biggest takeaways right now buddy uh so i like to go back to before uh this season started before uh actually the summer started uh at the end of last season and how they finished and based off of that I see the Raptors where they are today. So obviously, you know, Masai Ujiri was like, you know, finishing, uh, going to the second round, losing to Cleveland wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the style of play wasn't appropriate uh, to what the NBA was turning into. Um, they needed a culture reset. Um, you know, when it came to DeMar, I was like, okay, he, he can't be focused on the ISO ball so much anymore. He has to become more of a distributor. Uh, and not to say that he can't break down his opponent one-on-one, but he needs to be more creative, be more uh, diverse in his attacks to the basket. Um, and then with that, uh, you clearly see the style of play that DeMar DeRozan has put forward over the past three weeks in November. Um you see how his assist numbers are higher. You see how when he attacks the basket, he's not just settling for a jump shot, but he's actually looking at other avenues, other options that might be available, whether it's dishing it to uh, uh, Noguera for the alley-oop or, you know, the in-the-paint uh, attack or kicking it to the corner for... Uh, he's kicking it to everyone. Kicking he's it to everybody. Kicking it to everyone That's this year. That's a great point. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people, when they talk about the recent success of the Raptors, kind of pointed toward the, the three-point shot, which they're absolutely right. Um, you know, look at a few stats here. Uh, three-point field goal percentage, which basically is a percentage of field goals attempted by a player or team that are three-pointers. Last season, we were 22nd in the league at 28.9%. This season, we're bummed up to fifth in the league wow. at 37.7%. You also talk about EFG, effective field goal percentage, which basically measures field goal percentage adjusting for made three-point shots being valued at 1.5 times Makes more sense. than the standard two-point shot. Last season, we were 12th, respectable 12th in the league. This season, we're top three. We're third in the league at 55%. But the biggest thing for me is just the fluidity of the offense, the playmaking, the ball distribution, the lack of ISO, and just how we're always looking for that open shot. Not Mm -hmm. selling for, you know, a shitty shot, but really looking for the open man. So I'll pull up a few statistics right now to kind of talk about that. So assist ratio is the number of assists a team averages per 100 possessions. Last season, we were second last in the NBA, 29th overall at 14.6%. This season, we're top 10. We're eighth overall at 17.5%. You know, we're also talking about um, our assist ratio, you know, and like our assist percentage. Like we're we're top 10 in the league right now when it comes to facilitating the offense from playmaking. And, and would you say that's the biggest reason why we've improved so much? Or is it a combination of the three-point shot? Or is it another factor as well? So when I look at the Raptors, obviously it starts with the leadership, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, and those guys have taken it upon themselves to uh, re-establish uh, that new culture that they're trying to get, get going forward. Um, and I feel like at the beginning of the year, they're trying to do that, um, but it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one piece of the puzzle that I thought was out of place that was ruining what they were trying to do. And, uh, you know, it was uh, 
when during I think it was the game before Boston when uh, Norman Powell had got injured and he was out of the game and then they put Ananobi in the starting lineup uh, the game following Boston and I thought that was that was the key thing Good. like more more than you know them seeing how Boston played and seeing how they're just aggressive and you know the energy was just so high and like the effort was so high ultimately obviously that's part of it but I feel like you know that the critical key piece that had to change was uh, Norman Powell exiting the starting lineup and finding somebody who could replace him who wasn't going to be a slasher like DeMar DeRozan but was going to be able to really focus on that outside shot in order for the Raptors to space the floor a lot better create more spaces more lanes to attack and obviously more options to kick it out so I feel like that was the critical thing um, getting Ananobi in the starting lineup and uh Obviously, unfortunately, uh, Norman Powell got injured, but the silver lining was, you know, I feel like they became what they need to be going forward. And see, to me, Norman Powell became who he is and became good in the NBA by being that sixth man spark off the bench, right? Exactly. Like he doesn't know really how to play otherwise, yeah. how to play in a starting unit. And yeah. when you're in a starting unit with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, you kind of have to learn to share the ball a lot. You're the, f- with Ibaka and Valanciunas on the floor, you sometimes are the fifth option, right? Yep. So, um, I mean, Powell's obviously, he's like a slashing type of player. He's almost like a mini DeRozan. Exactly, right? He's honestly the perfect type of player to come off the bench. To replace DeRozan. Uh, before, yeah, and well, before the exactly, and before the season started, I was one of those people who thought that CJ Miles would be inserted into the starting lineup for the reason of spacing the floor, giving Demar that reason to kick it. But OG and Anubi is, I mean, he's been playing spectacular. For me, yeah. it's the defense. Yeah, exactly. Um, you Absolute start- revelation. Uh, you know, talking about a six foot seven, seven foot four wingspan, a guy who can guard multiple Crazy. positions. There's not too many guys like that in the NBA. So Graffin, going in tonight, we're playing the New York Knicks. We're embarking on a three game road trip. What's your take on the current schedule for the Raptors? And you think kind of getting uh, these long road trips out of the way sort of early is advantageous for the team going into the latter half of the season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, that's one of the reasons why the Raptors have always sort of seemed to struggle uh, throughout the regular season is for me, I div- so I'm not sure about you guys, but I divide the season sort of into th- thirds. The first third would be from the start of the season till Christmas and then from Christmas till the All-Star break and from the All-Star break until the end of the season. And traditionally, we've had a great start. We've had an awful middle and because of that, by the end of the season from All-Star break on, we sort of had to fight our way and make sure we have a top four seed in the playoffs. I feel like that drains the Raptors every single year. It's something that Cleveland sort of learned to just sort of ignore. We're not there yet. We're not at that level where we can ignore that. But the fact that we have an easier first half of the schedule, I think will just make everything easier for the rest of the year. So random stat to pull up, completely off topic from the Toronto Raptors. But I, I was listening to recent a recent podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, they mentioned that LeBron James, the amount of games he's played in the playoffs, especially within the last like six to eight years, has basically been an additional two seasons of play for LeBron. And the guy still doesn't miss a game. He's a fucking freak of goddamn nature. Yeah. And he's playing an MVP type season again. Him and Harden, I think, are, and maybe Kyrie, yeah, are the yeah. are top three Well, we're MVPs. talking about the Boston Celtics on a 16-game winning streak right now. Wow. Uh, many pundits predict them to be the Eastern Conference champion. Charles Barkley thinks a little bit differently. We'll throw this clip out there really quickly. I'm just telling you, this Celtics team, they don't put... Like, if, if I'm the Wizards or I'm Toronto, I'm like, this is a toss-up series. We can beat this team. Uh, and that's what, I'm saying that without Hayward, number one. But this team right here, they put zero fear in anybody's heart. Listen, they won 13 in a row. You take your hat off to them. But they will not beat Cleveland. They will not beat Toronto. 
and I might even say the Wizards. So um, I guess coming into like I love Charles. I love Charles Barkley. So coming into I, I like him occasionally. I like him when he's supporting the Toronto Raptors. Maybe it's a very hard take for him, but I think he revealed something in that clip. Do you, though, do you think there's truth behind that? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, he basically said that. Um, sorry, he basically said that he he thinks that Cleveland will be obviously number one. Uh, he says that the Wizards might be able to beat Boston, which to me makes him have Cleveland as number one, Toronto as number two, Washington as number three, and Boston as number four in the East. And honestly, I, I fully agree with him. Yeah. Uh, that To me... Uh, and again, I I like Charles Barkley, but I don't I don't think that everything he says is is correct. I think probably eighty percent of the stuff he says is just for jokes mm-hmm. um, and to get a good laugh, and that's the reason why he's on there. But this one, I think he nailed right on the head. The, the Raptors, the way they're playing, I think no one's scared of Boston because they know that when it comes playoff time, they basically have a whole bunch of young players. They don't have any playoff experience, and it's very easy for them to lose and get upset. Yeah, and. As well, uh, when you look at Boston, they're not deep. Like, they don't play 10 guys every single game. They have a lot of injuries. Obviously, the horrific Gordon Hayward one, Kyrie Irving broke his, uh, his he had a f- fracture in his face. Um, they're not deep at all. So, when it comes time for, you know, the all-star break, we'll see who's, who, who's beat up then and who starts regressing. You know, one of the things, obviously coach, so one of the things we tell our players is, you know, no team is as bad as their worst game and no team is as good as their best game. I feel like Boston has played 16 of their best games possible. <laughs> I don't know how much more of those good games they could have. Um, you know, a lot of the games that they're playing, like their defense and their energy and their effort level, that's what's uh, well, bringing the them to the finish line. That. You get a very catastrophic situation losing Gordon Hayward, you know, big flashy free agent signing in the first game. You know, Brad Stevens sort of cultivating a, a positive culture after that event and having a 16-game winning streak. And you're right. You're absolutely right in the sense that Boston doesn't really have the depth they had last year, uh, losing guys like Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, etc. But they do have a few blue-chip guys. You know, the obvious names are like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, Al Horford. But even like Terry Rozier, for example, coming off the bench, and certain guys that, in my opinion, could potentially be starters on several organizations in the NBA, they do have a little bit of depth. And I can't. I don't think you guys should lose sight of how good Tatum and Brown are and how much better they're going to get as the season progresses. The guy that blew me away this season is Jalen Brown. I was kind of talking about him in the offseason. I didn't really think he was going to turn a corner that much. But the guy has evolved into such a, like not even an offensive presence, but such a great defensive presence, like a lockdown defender that they, like, they lost in like Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder. Next uh, man but, you're, but you're right in the sense, like I don't think the Celtics have enough legs on their team to sort of sustain the um, the play they ha- they're having right now. Basically, well, they're also just so young, and like you said, like everybody I think thinks this. A lot of teams in the NBA think exactly that that the Celtics are are performing the best that they're going to perform this year. Yeah. So uh, exactly only, what Charles said. Uh, I don't think anyone's scared. It's only a matter of time before teams start making the necessary adjustments. Um, you know, with the Raptors, they made huge adjustments after that game, and they've won four straight. I'm just looking forward to the next time the Raptors get to play the Boston Celtics I really want to see how, how that game is going to turn out because you know you know I was telling a whole bunch of my friends uh you know when I see the Raptors play now I see a transformed Raptors team I see a, a top five team in the league you know better than Cleveland I'm not going to lie to you guys I think the Raptors are the best team in the Eastern Conference right now I think they're the team to beat and I think that they can make the finals right now just based off of uh their style of play over the past four games um the injuries might be an issue Delon Wright's out 
but we get Norman Powell back. Um, but you know the depth on the Raptors, the youth that they have, and what the youth is doing, the roles that they're filling, and you know I'm just looking forward to that. So we're roughly 15 games, 15 to 18 games into the season, depending on what team. Um, Previous years, you know, there was a really big imbalance between the Eastern and Western Conference. You know, we're talking about the Western Conference being this dominant force for the last few years. Eastern Conference teams have been obviously a little bit behind. You can talk about, uh, you know, in certain situations, the fourth-seeded team in the East, in some cases, wouldn't even make the playoffs if they're in the West in previous years. This year is completely different, you know, and there's a couple teams that are emerging as legitimate threats, not only to make the playoffs, but win the championship as well. Guys, I want to talk about pretenders and contenders right now, and I'm going to bring up a few teams, and I want you to guys sort of discuss: um, is this actually, you know, is this actual the team you're seeing, or are they just having a little bit of early season fluke success? Uh, Graffin, I'm going to throw it your way first. I'm going to talk about the Boston Celtics, 16 and two. I know we kind of briefly touched on this. Do you think the Boston Celtics will win the Eastern Conference this season? Oh, it's hard to say. Um... No, I don't. I don't think the Boston Celtics are going to win the Eastern Conference. Like we just talked about how they're just kind of on the run of their life right now. I think it's going to eventually catch up to them. Uh, we've seen Kyrie go down already once. We've seen Horford get injured once. If it takes, honestly, they're very dependent on those two guys. Mm-hmm. I find. I know that they're sort of one of those. They're not as deep like we were just talking about. If one of those two guys goes down, they can go on. I don't think a losing streak. They're they're playing much better than anybody anticipated. So sixteen and two right now. What is your prediction at the end of the season for how many? wins will have oh boy um i still think it'll be about 50 for me uh probably like low 50s 51 something around there Perfect. So going over to another team, I'll toss it to Javon right now, uh, a team that has been struggled to start, five-game winning streak right now, the 10-7 Cleveland Cavaliers. Javon, do you think they can emerge as the Eastern Conference champions after a very dismal start, or is their lack of defense going to sort of uh, spell the end of the Cavaliers' reign on the Eastern Conference? When I look at the Cavs, I see a whole bunch of old guys guys who have either made it to the finals won a championship or are still trying to figure out a way to get that championship Um, they lack a lot of youth um, and when when that happens you know you lack a lot of energy a lot of effort because I feel like the youth are the ones who are always going to be running the floor always going to be you know being aggressors and you know trying to make a name for themselves I feel like with the Cavs initially uh, you know they're shaking off the summer going forward they're obviously even though they're not as uh, young and energetic as some of the other teams that are around um, they still have a higher IQ a better understanding of the game of the NBA game and you know I think that's what's getting them these wins right now obviously LeBron James started off slow and now he's coming together but you know you look at LeBron James and He's not better than last year. He's not better than two years ago. He's great, by all means. Probably still the best player in the NBA, just in terms of his physical capabilities. But just tough to doubt him. Like it's tough to doubt LeBron, though. You know, it's it's like New England Patriots, the NFL. Like the Patriots, obviously their defense isn't great, but you know that at the end of the day, they're most likely going to win the Super Bowl. You can't discount them, nor can you discount LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Javon, do you think Isaiah Thomas coming back from injury will improve that team? Because you're talking about the biggest issue being defense. Isaiah Thomas, not traditionally known as a great defender. Yeah. Um, how does he fit in with the Cleveland Cavaliers roster? Do you think I think it's going to be uh, improve the team or is it going to lessen the team's ability to play defense? Uh, pretty much 
they're missing Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas is going to fill those shoes when he comes back and plays. Exactly. So when is that? January. Yeah, that's a shot creator, right? He's a well, he's a pure scorer. Yeah. He's a scorer. So ultimately, that's going to alleviate LeBron James from having to be that guy on offense. Mm-hmm. He's going to be able to defer to uh, Isaiah Thomas, and maybe that means LeBron James is able to pick it up on the defensive end. Yeah, and I think um, you see that with LeBron right now. He's going ham right now. He's yeah. playing the like as hard as he can. He's playing the most minutes. Yeah. When Isaiah comes back and he gets eased into the lineup, he'll yeah. sort of tone it down a bit. I think. Exactly. Exactly. This is what he does. He builds himself for the playoffs. He knows what he's doing. Exactly. Right? He knows he, he's trying to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he's going to do what he needs to do. Uh, whether he loses a game here or a game there, uh, he'll take it. But if he's going to about to lose three straight games, okay, then LeBron James is going to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Make sure he doesn't exactly. lose three straight games because he has that ability. He's great like that. Switching um, over to the Western Conference right now. Sorry, was there one more thing you want to add, buddy? Uh, no, I was just going to give you my prediction on where they're going to end up. Give me, uh, give me their their uh, how many wins? Over fifty this year. They're currently uh, the team. Is currently ten and seven. Ten and seven right now. Thank you, yeah. stack guy Jerry. Jerry, uh, diamond pizza. Fifty to fifty-five wins. Fifty to fifty-five. They're wins. not hitting sixty. All right, Graf, and going back over to you right now. We're talking about the Western Conference, the top two teams: Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. Currently at thirteen and four. Um, a lot of people had very lofty expectations from the Houston Rockets, but they're thirteen and four. Basically, without Chris Paul, Warriors still tie with them. Um, do you think the Rockets could potentially win the Western Conference? Um, how does Chris Paul's inclusion in the roster coming back from injury impact their play? Um, and do you think they're a realistic title contender? Yeah, well, I've seen that. Well, Chris Paul at first, when he first came and before he got injured, I felt like he kind of slowed the whole offense down. He he held the ball too much. He, he wanted it. He wasn't shooting as well as he th- sort of thought he was. The injury came out, and it sort of made sense as to why that was happening. Ever since he's been back, they've looked great. Yeah. And, I mean, 13-4. and four, The only thing is if I go back and base this on, I guess, the Chris Paulus Rockets and what I saw from them when he was injured, uh, especially versus the Raptors, the Raptors, maybe they just had a great game, but they dominated the Rockets. Like, that game was one of, I mean, it probably was one of our better ones, but we, the defense we played on Harden, especially OG, um, we dominated them yeah. from, from the start of the game to the end. In the Golden State game, Golden State did exactly what they usually do. And I guess what I'm trying to say from this is that I think throughout the course of the season, you're going to see that exactly. You're going to see Golden State continue this. I don't see them losing more than better, 15 better, games. Better. I mean, they're still probably going to be one of those teams that's, going to be in first 100%, and Houston probably will end up in second. It all depends on where San Antonio ends up I when Kawhi gets back. One thing Houston has over Golden State, though, is immediate offense off the bench and a guy like Eric Gordon. Well, Nick Young, you don't like Swaggy P? <laughs> you shut your mouth. No, Eric Gordon, though, it, 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 it's really nice to see him kind of uh, come back to form. You know, we're, we're talking about guy. like the old like you know Charlotte Hornets, Eric Gordon, when he can actually play some basketball. It's really incredible to see him sort of... Well, this, style, this game style, especially with the coach they have, yeah. suits him so well. Perfect. He loves shooting threes. He shoots like an average of like seven His games. coach says, hey, thank God we have him in day. fantasy. Exactly. <laughs> one more uh, one more team we'll talk about. I'll throw Javon. Uh, you're talking about uh, teams trying to assemble roster to compete with the Golden State Warriors. We're talking about the generation of the super team. And we're talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder in the offseason, bringing a guy like Paul George and also bringing Carmelo Anthony. Um, conventional wisdom would say that they would be a Western Conference title contender. Uh, right now, they're currently 7-9 and a two-game losing streak. Uh, Javon, do you think they're just having, kind of acclimating to each other, kind of adjust, like figure out how to play with each other, and gradually over the season, you'll see them in the top five, or do you think the Oklahoma City Thunder may potentially miss a playoff this season? I don't like that team. I don't like the way they're made up. 
when I look at their three superstars, I see empty names. I see empty, empty names. Uh, what I mean by that is Carmelo Anthony was done a few years ago. All he does now is put up 25 points a game and lose games. Um, all he does. Yeah, that's all he does, in my opinion. Uh, Paul George, he was great uh, for uh, two or three years when he was uh, on his run making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but he, he needs to be the guy on the team. He can't be... He can't be the second option or the third option. Um, and Westbrook, you know, he's a great player, great physical uh, person. Uh, but when it comes to him playing, it's more, okay, let me get this rebound. Let me get the assist. Let me get the bucket. He's, these guys are num- number number hunting. That's what I like to call it. They're number hunting. Right. Um, when I compare that team to... Uh, the Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant went there he went from being a, a scorer to now he's a shot blocker now he's a defensive specialist he found other ways to contribute to that team besides scoring because he wasn't required of that and he was able to adjust mm-hmm. um, Paul George hasn't adjusted Carmelo Anthony hasn't adjusted um, I feel like you know their effort level isn't there just the intangible stuff like the rebounds the assists the points those things will come but who who's willing to uh, step up be a leader and do what the team needs. Sacrifice, take, I guess. Take a charge. Right. Who's diving for a ball? Who's 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 boxing out harder than and than anybody else? Uh, I just feel like those guys don't cut it. I think like one of the bigger glaring issues with the OKC Thunder of the season is basically every single game they're playing four and five basketball. You know, they gave uh, Robertson that pretty big contract because he is sort of recognized as one of the best lockdown defenders of the guard position in the league. But the guy can't shoot the three point shooter for his fucking life. You know, talking about a guy like Alex Abrams and. and who else filling out the two position for that team? You know, it's really tough to um, it's, it's really tough to keep afloat in the Western Conference when every single night there's at least one guy on the court who's a non-factor offensively. Right? Yeah. I just find they're just so dependent on their shot. Yeah. If Carmelo's shooting well and Paul George is shooting well that night, then there's a good chance they'll be in the game. If they're both not shooting well, is this it's this is nothing. And I yeah. mean, you've seen it uh, throughout the season now. Is what are they? They're seven and nine. You said. I, f- I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to get past the first round. They even might if they not do make squeak the in, obviously. They might not make the well, playoffs. Well, I did make that bet with Greg that I thought the Denver Nuggets would finish with a better record than the OKC Thunder, oh, even with the loss of Paul Mills after too bad. Months. Yeah, I, st- I still think Denver. Uh, Denver can definitely. Uh, beat OKC. So we're going to keep talking about these uh, like teams that are blowing us away and teams that are not really matching the expectation coming in the season. Graf, and I'm going to throw it to you right now. I know you have uh, a few things you want to say about the Detroit Pistons. Before that, we'll uh, listen to a little clip by Stan Van Gundy. But, but again, I give our guys credit. They just they kept fighting. And if, and if we maintain that and improve, we've got a chance to be chance to be pretty good. So Graffin, where are you uh where are you at with the Detroit Pistons? Obviously many pundits before the season started sort of predicted them to be a bottom dweller in the Eastern Conference. Coming into today, uh, the Detroit, Detroit Pistons are currently third place in the Eastern Conference, eleven and six. Um all smoke and mirrors, or are they actually a playoff contender of the season? Well, it's really, I mean, it's hard to say just based on their on their schedule, I guess. And for me, I think the T- Detroit Pistons are sort of, I mean, I think that they're going to be good enough. Uh, Reggie Jackson has really sort of taken on this role as a, as a fourth quarter sort of leader. Uh, he's dominated there, and right now he's top 10 in league in both offense and defensive rating. So... 
I don't know. The Pistons are one of those teams that, yeah, they're surprising a lot of people, but I think it's just simply because of the fact that they didn't expect it this quick. I think that there's a lot of talent. Uh, Reggie Jackson, Tobias Harris, uh, a lot of, uh, obviously, Andre Drummond, who's stepped his game up a ton this year. They're playing very well. I just think that a lot of teams thought, or a lot of people thought, that this was going to happen maybe next year or the year after that. And, you know, they're doing it the right way. Uh, their core has been together for three or four years now. Like, Drummond's been in the league for, I think, five years. Um, and obviously, they were able to build on something. They've had continuation with uh, their coach, Dan Van Gundy, who uh, has been around winning systems before and knows what it takes to win. Yep. So, you know, with all that, it only makes sense to me that, you know, they're doing what they're doing this year. Um, yeah. They're definitely playing better than what everybody expected. Do, do you, you think they can keep doing Like, they're going to be a playoff team, in my opinion. Yeah. But where do, they, where do you think they finish in that in the Eastern Conference? Like, ahead of... Okay, how about this? Do you think they're going to be ahead of Milwaukee by the end of the season? No. I think so. I like them more. I like them more than Milwaukee. Well, it's, it's one of those teams, that, like you said, Milwaukee's going to have to sort of find themselves. Why, like, why do you like them more than Milwaukee, just out of curiosity? I feel like the hype around Giannis is too much. Or Giannis? Well, he's proven it already on the court. Uh, uh, I feel like he—he's—he's he's still raw. He's not—he's not refined to the point where, you know, he could pull up for a three-pointer on a fast break and hit it 50% of the time. But that's not necessarily his game, right? He's just such a physical part of dominant it. slasher, though. It's part of it. Just um, an interesting note there as well. They've already played each other strangely three times this season. Yeah. The Milwaukee's won twice, okay. and Pistons have won once. So just, it would be a very interesting playoff series. The thing with Detroit be. is that they have a lot of like really decent offensive options and guys like to buy. Harris, uh, you can say Avery Bradley, Reggie Jackson, mm-hmm. etc. But there's no like real go-to like holy shit, this guy terrifies me in the fourth corner kind of guy like Giannis in Milwaukee or even LeBron in Cleveland or Demar Derozan in Toronto or Kyrie Irving in Boston. I was you know, mentioning this earlier of, though. Reggie Jackson has Reggie been that Jackson's guy. Reggie Jackson's a good basketball player, but when push comes to shove and when the games actually matter, I just don't see that team being able to beat like a pissed-off LeBron James. I think Andre Drummond's look absolutely fantastic. I think it's phenomenal that he's improved his free throw shot and he's really looking like <clears throat> the all-star many people kind of predict him to be. And I do like Tobias Harris as a secondary third option. Avery Bradley is a fantastic lockdown defender. Listen, I'm not saying they're, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but in comparison to a lot of teams in the East, I don't think they're a top five. Do you know who they remind me of? And it's it's not just Stan Van Gundy being there, but when he was coaching the Orlando Magic and they had Dwight Howard down low and they basically just chucked up a whole bunch of threes. Yeah. That's essentially <laughs> what they're doing now. The Pistons are shooting more threes than they ever have before. Do they have Hedy Turk with Well, <laughs> they do not. Um, and Andre Drummond's, I think, averaging like over 15 rebounds a game. Oh, it's beast. the exact same sort of formula that's yeah. worked for them before. And honestly, I'm pretty sure the Orlando Magic got to the conference finals, did they not, with that sort of style? It it suits the NBA, and Andre Drummond, as long as he continues to grab rebounds and hit free throws, you know, at least at 65%. What was he before, like 38? He he was, I think, just like 40, I think. Yeah, right around like 45 or something like that. At the start of the season, he was great. Now he's sort of leveled back to, I think, 63, something like that percent. If he can stay around 60, if he can get to 70%, I think the Pistons are going far far in the Eastern Conference in the regular season. Yeah. So switching the, uh, I guess, switching to the other side, talking about a team playing out of their mind, Detroit Pistons, we'll talk about a team that's absolutely shitting the bed right now, the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I'm going to talk about them quickly right here. So many people sort of predicted them to be uh, a playoff team this year. Many people even said top five. Um, Obviously, we're talking about the loss of Chris Paul. Um, Huge. 
and, and, and the biggest issue with this team, especially in the last few years, is that they've been so close to the salary cap and they haven't really been able to um, facilitate an entire roster, if that makes sense. Like you have like Blake Griffin and DeAndre um, Jordan, great big men, low post presence. Um, Chris Paul, great playmaker. JJ Redick, but like they had never had a wing player, never had a really good bench. They've always been really thin as an organization. And the loss of Chris Paul allowed them to bring in guys like Daniel Gallinari, uh, Beverly, uh, Milo Teodosic, etc. Um, the team has been absolutely dog shit this season. Absolutely dog shit. And I think the biggest issue with them is um, is, is just the, the lack of playmaking a bit like on the team. The, last season they were, um, what, 15th in the league with 22.5 assists per game. This season 28th in the league at 19.6 and they just lost Patrick Beverly. Thanks Chris um, Thanks, Chris Paul's departure. Yeah. <laughs> but Patrick Beverly now, I was going to say just well, quickly, well, Chris, gone for the rest of the season. Well Chris Paul was just a fantastic, is, is one of the greatest playmaking point guards obviously the modern generation of basketball and just his ability to facilitate the offense and kind of create open looks for guys like J.J. Redick um, and we're talking about the field goal percentage as well this season. Um, last year, they were second in the league, 47.5%. This season, 19th in the league, 44.5%. And they're 43.1% in the second half of the season. Um, also, their assist-to-turnover ratio, which is basically a statistic used to... Um, out of players' number of assists and contacts, the number of turnovers they've caused. 28th in the league at 14.9. Um, big, sexy free agent signings like Daniel Gallinari. 32 minutes per game, 12.8 point per game. He's shooting 35% from field goal, 26% as a three-point shooter. Um, fucking Austin Rivers. Like, why the fuck is Austin Rivers a professional basketball player? He's a point guard. He's fucking 13 points per game, shooting 37% from the field, 2.6 assists per game in Horrible. like 33 minutes played as Horrible. a primary point guard coming off the bench. I never liked that guy. I always I, knew once that, once he went to the Clippers, I knew there was something wrong with that organization. Yeah, to me, it's Doc Rivers. Yeah. He's the, he's, oh to me, God. he's the master, well, he's you, the mastermind behind the whole thing. You he left Boston. As soon as he lost Ken Morgan exactly. and Paul Pierce, he jumped the fucking gun. He didn't want to be a nurse and be with a, a, a developing team and he's like fuck it I'm going to the LA Clippers that guy should not be a coach in the NBA I don't know what he brings to the table I don't know what Doc Rivers does as a coach maybe you can reflect on this as a coach yourself but I think Doc Rivers is arguably one of the worst if not the worst coach in the NBA I think with Doc Rivers he's not an X's and O guy he's more of a guy who Jimmy and Joe he, he's able to manage personalities that's it he's, he, <laughs> he, you know like him or not he, he's like the uh, John Gibbons of basketball Right. He manages personality. He's not an X and O guy. Uh, he's able to get guys who might not mesh together. He's able to get them to mesh together. Um, if the pieces fit, he looks great. If the pieces don't fit, you see what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the Los Angeles Clippers, you know all those numbers that you just mentioned pretty much sums up. They have no playmaker. Guys who are on that exactly. team right now are not playmakers. They're scorers. They need the play to be made for them, and then they can get to the spot, whether it's spotting up for the three or catching the ball in a position where they can slash to the basket uh, to make them successful. DeAndre Jordan shot. He led the league in field goal percentage for the last uh, five years. Why? Chris Paul was throwing him lobs every single possession. Who's throwing him lobs now? And what's his field goal percentage now? Probably, you know, not even Tanked, in the top yeah. 10. Uh, same with Blake Griffin. Chris Paul would break down the defense, kick it to him, and all he had to do is chill and shoot. Well, people are so intrigued about the concept of this point guard Blake Griffin sort of facilitating the offense, and clearly it hasn't worked out at all. And you can't have an organization that doesn't have a single fucking point guard on the team. Like, listen, I love Patrick Beverly in the right situation. He's a fantastic asset to have. But on this team, as a primary point guard without a good shooting guard beside him, it's, it's not going to work out. Like, I think Chris Paul and Patrick Beverly would be fantastic 
pairing in the backcourt. You know what yeah. I mean? Patrick Beverly obviously taking the tougher defensive assignment every single night. Um, it's just not working out for the team. No, they have no playmaker. Um, guys are being asked to do things that they're not accustomed to doing. And, you know, a lot of these guys, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Blake Griffin, they've never been the kind of players who picked up something new every summer were able to reinvent themselves get better well to be fair you Blake know, Griffin sort of developed a three point stroke which I'm kind of what's he shooting right now I think he's shooting 37% it's I don't just think so. a random guess I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> look at it I think he's not even shooting Absolutely 35% random guess look I think the Clippers are not as bad as they as their record states they're 5-11 and 11 right now and they're 13th I, I, I still they think a they're a better team than the Suns I think they're a better team than the Lakers with, yeah, but think with Millsap that, gone I think they're better than the Nuggets I, I don't know I, I think there's still a team. The I think out of all the teams, I think so. With Millsap gone, have a chemistry issue, and they're missing a playmaker. If they get a playmaker, they can go from night to day like that. Yeah. So it's not a matter of they just don't have the talent. They just don't have the right pieces. Well, Once they, they get the right, trade. they gotta find someone out there that they can bring as a primary point guard. And talking about trades as well, they need Corey Joseph. Um, Corey Joseph's a great, great person to bring up. Might uh, work out for the Clippers. Do you think they're gonna make a trade before the trade deadline though to try to get better, or do you think they're gonna try to wait and see what they have? I think if they're gonna keep bottling out like have. this, I, don't, I think they need to. I think they need to have a come to Jesus moment and realize they're not gonna make the playoffs. And listen, exactly, this is a pretty great draft. You know, if they get a guy like Luka Doncic, it might be a fantastic sort of new. Uh, breath of fresh air to the organization, let's say. But we're talking about trades right now uh, and talk about maybe the Toronto Raptors. Do you think the Toronto Raptors should make a trade? Do we need to make a trade, Graf? And I know we had a few ideas uh, coming in this podcast. Well, it's funny because we I did a little bit of research before, well, coming into last week and last week we ended up going to the Raptors game instead of recording the podcast, which was awesome. <laughs> well, um, I thought it was technical difficulties. Huh? <laughs> technical difficulties. Yeah, technical difficulties. in my hands right now. Um, and bef- and prior, we, we weren't on the four-game win streak then. So, of course, I was looking at this and I was seeing things like Bebe shooting the three, DeMar shooting the three when he, at the time, shouldn't have really been doing it. Um, and I guess it kind of led me to believing that the Raptors are sort of, if there's one piece we're missing, it would be sort of a legit shooter. Another one. Uh, CJ Miles, if he was out there and available, I would say he's the number one target. So the fact that we got him in the offseason, I credit Masai hugely already. His length on defense, he's been great, honestly. Great. Every, everything about him. So there's a few people that I'll, I'll say now that I think think, I don't know, even if they were or they weren't available, do you think they'd be a fit on the Raptors and sort of who would you give up to get sort of these people? Um, tension in the Bulls, uh, Miritich and Bobby Portis, obviously, can't be on the same team together. If either one was available, which one would you want and who would you be willing to give up from the Raptors? Or would you be willing to want either of them? I don't want Miritich because that guy has been in the league long enough to prove that he's on a winner. He doesn't comp- he's not enough compete every single night. He looks like he's bored as fuck on the court. Uh, I like Bobby Portis' upside, so I'd probably say Bobby Portis, but I think he's the kind of guy that the Bulls would be asking quite a bit for. I think he's still a relatively young guy. He's very young, yeah. Former first-round pick two, three years ago, and a guy still coming into his own. I would love to have Bobby Portis on the team, but I don't think I'd want to give up what they'd be asking for because I think it'd be somewhere around maybe Norman Powell and pick. Are there any untouchables on the Raptors? In your um, guys' opinion? I Maybe DeMar DeRozan. Lowry and DeMar, and DeMar yeah, obviously. I mean, nobody wants those guys anyways. Exactly, the, the way they play. No, I... See, I, for me, it would be Bobby Portis just because of the way he plays a three, but I... I don't think the Raptors need to make a move for someone like mm-hmm. like Bobby Portis. How about uh, Chandler Parsons on uh, on Memphis? And his contract's a bit ridiculous. That's the issue, though. That's the issue right there, the contract. I like the concept of having Chandler, I mean, uh, yeah, Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons, in, yeah. Coming off the bench, you know, a guy who can play 3-4, but he, he doesn't have... 
the same athleticism he had prior to his injury. He's on a very big um, minute restriction right now as well for Memphis. But he's shooting near 45% yeah, right now from just, three. Is that justifiable, though, to bring in a guy who's making like $20, $23 million per season? Just but to it, kind of have him play 18 minutes per game off the bench? But like, if, We wouldn't have to give up that much, but I'm saying like being locked in that contract for that amount of time hinders our long-term development. Again, I'm basing this on the premise that the Raptors kind of have to go all in this year. Uh, yeah. This is sort of the year they have to go for it and win it all. Because next year, I mean, Boston, who knows? Like Again, there's going to be a lot of moving you never, around you and never everything. Know. You never know, but I feel like the Raptors could go for it this so that Parsons is anything interest for you Joel? Uh with Parsons I mean he's a great basketball player um, I don't know how his contract would fit with the Raptors I think they only have one million of uh, flex uh, they have a few cap, uh, cap exceptions because of the DeMar Carroll trade and everything like that okay. but. so right now this season Chandler Parsons is making 23 million dollars next year it's going up to 24 million and in 2019 2020 we're talking about paying a guy who might be playing 20 minutes per game might not even in the league at that point earning 25 million dollars or he might be back wow. to himself no I agree I wouldn't I wouldn't go there how about Ryan Anderson yeah, I like Ryan Anderson. He seems I, like one of those players. Like, he fits the Houston system amazing. He plays the four there. Um, he would definitely be good for us, uh, especially if you throw out Valanciunas. He'll be able to space the floor a lot more. Um, what would we have to give up for him? I mean, you know, for me, the only untouchable guys besides DeMar and Kyle is uh, Ananobi and Siakam. I love those guys. And Anobi, I wouldn't want to give up, and I think Masai loves yeah. Anobi. He would and, never and give Anobi up for and Siakam, anything. Those guys untouchable. See, like I have no problem giving up Delon, Fred, uh, Lucas Nogueira. Why would we want Ryan Harris in the first place? Like maybe he's a better outside shooter than Serge Ibaka, but Serge Ibaka is a fantastic defender. I'll bring up a stat right now. Uh, last year, uh, 4.9 blocks per game. This season, we're fifth in the league at 5.8. Obviously, it's inclusion of Serge Ibaka. I don't think Ryan Anderson brings the sort of tangibles that Serge Ibaka brings, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Clearly, he's not as good of a shooter as Ryan Anderson. But again, we're talking about a guy who's earning $19.5 million this year, $20.4 the next year, $21.2 the year, following year. That's Ryan and, Anderson's and, contract? And we're also, yeah, Who's we're also giving talk- him this money? And oh, like, my if God. We, if, we, if we made that trade, like we'd sure. have to include Serge Ibaka's contract in the trade. And I'd rather have Serge, to be completely honest with you, than Ryan Anderson. So I didn't know about the contract. So, okay, uh, touche on that one. But I still think just the point of them playing. I, I thought they could play together. At the end of the game, we never really have Valanchunas on the floor anyways. No, we we put, we're putting Fred Van Vliet out there. It's like, it's so like what's we, so wrong with putting a Baca like at the five and having offer, him at the four? So we got to find the contract to, make, to facilitate the trade. So let's say like Jonas Valanciunas and like someone else to get Ryan Anderson. But right. why would Houston want Jonas Valanciunas? And why would Houston want to get rid of Ryan Anderson in this spot as well? Right? Yeah, no. Uh, I don't think anybody wants Valanciunas right now unless a big is down. I think uh, Valanciunas, there's only one spot for a guy like Valanciunas on every team. Not two, not three. Because the guys who would have to play after him would have to be athletic. Guys like uh, Jakob Pertl. That guy's amazing. I love that guy too. Yep. So so Clint Capella already has that role exactly. on Houston. For me, it's just I think the only reason they'd want to do it is to get rid of the salary yeah. because, like you said, the salary in the upcoming years is pretty ridiculous, and they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. We don't need expiring contracts to sort of make that sort of trade or like the right pieces to make it. How about uh, Will Barton? See, Will Barton, that, that is a fantastic idea. I love me some Will Barton. Will Barton is the definition of heat check off the bench. Uh, maybe doesn't really bring much to the table when it comes to rebound and passing, but he's a very effective shooter. Um, he's a very efficient shooter. And he's the kind of guy that like, uh, you know, like you don't have to like pander your roster to a skill set. He's the kind of guy that can easily slide in like CJ Miles. Um, I just think that Denver knows his value, knows how good he is, and be asking for quite a bit to get 
Norman. I mean, get uh, the Norman. young. That's like the Norman Powell in the first. Like, like is probably realistically what they would ask for to get him. Wow, you should see what he's averaging this year. To me, giving up Norman Powell and a first would be very interesting. I mean, yeah. that's a deal that you'd have to consider because he he comes right in. I mean, he's completely proven mm-hmm. in the NBA. He's shooting at the time I did this. He was shooting an average of five threes a game at a forty percent clip. Yeah. So, so my whole theory 43% is forty three percent actually forty three percent now. Fourteen point so, six points per game. Yeah, he's 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 very good. He's long, kind of you know for for what he is, he's very good. I think. I think Will Barton's one of those players that I personally would do that. He's I would give contract as well. He's a free agent next year. I'd fight my ass off to give up Norman Powell in a second, mm-hmm. but I'd do it, especially now that they're they lost um, Millsap. Who knows? what the team's going to be like they could lose all the way to the trade deadline and be one of those teams that is willing to sort of part ways with some of their some of their pieces just in order like, to I don't tank. think they're that bad considering that they have like like Yochik is such a good sort of um, low post playmaker yeah um, amazing and like I don't know like Plumlee's on the team he's a really decent option to have come on put Jokic to four come on I suppose I guess like it's not that bad of a situation like I come still on. think they're a playoff contender in the Western Conference mm. you've mentioned every single name except for the most important one worry. Thank you. Thank you. How are you going to forget about the can Jamal Murray, Emmanuel Moutier. Like, they still have so much depth, though. Like, even, like, Chandler, like, uh, Will Barton. Like, there's a, like that team has a lot of depth. Even Malik Beasley. Like, they still have a lot of options off the bench. That team is not that depleted. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be sellers just because they've lost Millsap. Okay. I think uh, they'll, they'll battle through because still got Kenneth Fareed. So last one I have here, these guys are definitely sellers. Wesley Matthews on the Mavericks. Uh, again, he's shooting, at the time I did that again, he was averaging 5.73 attempts per game, shooting at a 44% uh, clip. So, See, like, again, though, like, it's a contract issue for me. Like, you're talking about a guy who's, like, coming off an Achilles injury a couple of years ago, who's making $17.8 million this year, and next year he's locked into uh, $18.6 million as well, which is a player option. So... It's going to be very difficult to facilitate that trade with the contracts and also paying heed to, um, you know, salary cap restraints by bringing him in. However, though, like he is a decent defender. He's a really good shooter. He's a good veteran presence to have off the bench. He's not like Chandler Parsons where you have him on like a minute restriction. I like the concept of having Wesley Matthews on the team. I just don't like the contract. Agreed. I mean, you know, after hearing all these names and thinking about the Raptors roster, as it stands right now, you I don't need anyone. I, th- I, th- I think <laughs> exactly. I th- exactly. I think we're good. I'm not gonna lie. I think we're good. Like I want to see how this team plays together going forward. There's a lot of youth. Uh, you got Siakam, uh, Jakob Pertl, who are both sophomores. Ananobi, who's a rookie. Uh, uh, Delon Wright, who's pretty much a sophomore. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, who's a sophomore. Like all like their depth chart is not even two years deep in the league. So we're still figuring out what they're what they're capable of doing. And as it stands right now, they're on a four-game winning streak, second in the East, playing great basketball. They have the right combination of youth and veterans who are able to coalesce together. Um, I want to see what they have. And you know what? That's exactly what I almost one of the reasons I wanted to do this because sometimes it takes looking at what out there is available and what the best sort of options would be mm-hmm. to sort of realize that you don't need to go that route well, and we sort of have to look internally yet. exactly at least I, at least until the trade deadline comes I think comes. we even exactly. find it in house though like I don't know if you guys have been watching like Bruno Gabach oh my god I knew you were going to mention that but no like, like, like listen you're talking about a guy he's averaging three or five 
three-point attempts a game. He's shooting 47% from the three-point line in six games a season. Yeah, in the G League. I know, still. 17.7 okay, so. points per game. Like, I'm not talking about him being, like, a uh, 25-30-minute-per-game guy, but, like, uh, like a heat-check three-point shooter. Like, he's showing up to play in the D League. Why not we're, give him a chance? To me, that just says Jerry Stackhouse is a great coach. Where, yeah, where, where, where is he on the uh, on the track record of uh, four years away from being four years away? Where is he on that? I think he's another four years away from four years being away from four years being... Well, they said that when he was, like, 12, right? He's only 22 years old. Yes. Like, the guy was born in 1995. I think the first four years is gone. I think we're into the second four years. We're in the second phase So now. I think, uh, you know, he, he he's going to be the post-DeRozan era if he can continue to get better. You think he'll just be a 905-er for life? <laughs> he'll just be all-star. our all-star and just thrive. I mean, p- players go to Europe and do it. Why not just thrive in Mississauga? Right? Especially if he's going to get an NBA contract. Alrighty, so uh, moving on, Javon. I know you had uh, a little bit of a, t- a little bit of a hot take on uh, on uh, like the Euro step. The Euro step. The Raptors. The Euro what, are you, uh, what are you talking about, buddy? The Euro step. I don't know if you guys have seen this move, but it's become a go-to for a lot of players in the NBA. Shout out Delon Wright. Uh, shout out Delon Wright. Nasty Euro step. Yep. Uh, but there's a lot of controversy around it. Uh, I know there was a recent article uh, on Bleacher Report that was talking about James Harden's Euro step, uh, his ability to, you know, get around defenders. Um, a lot of people are saying it's unfair. A lot of people are also saying it's a travel. I have a few things here. Uh, he brought the notes, baby. Got the notes <laughs> out. Got the notes out. Uh, so, the NBA referees, their Twitter handle at official NBA refs. Uh, they put their opinion in on James Harden's Euro step, especially one that he did against, I think it was November 15th, the game they played that day. Not too sure the team, not too sure uh, the player he did it against. But uh, they say it is not a travel. First of all, do you guys think the Euro step has a travel? I don't if it's done the right Happen. way. Yes. And again, that's that has a lot to do with making sure that you don't <laughs> That, that, the, that you're basically making sure that the ball's not in your hand and you're taking your step and then picking it up and going up. Yeah, you're not taking that third step, You're not right? taking that step right before that, exactly. And, you know, I, I've watched it a lot over the past few days, uh, and I'm looking at how these players are doing it, and I've noticed that it's, it's hard. It's hard. You know, one of the things about the NBA is that, you know, there's the two steps that you can use to not dribble, and then there's a gather step before those two steps. And... That's the question right there, the gather step. So is the gather step part of the two steps, or is it like a step where, you know, you're gathering, not picking up the ball? Exactly, because in in the NBA, you are allowed to dribble it, and in between the ball hitting the floor and going back to your hand, take as many steps as you want. Exactly. So the whole issue here is exactly what you're saying. What part of the Euro step, when you pick it up, how is it too early or is it too late? And I I do think that some people, like I think Harden, when I watch it on TV, there there have been times I've put the little rewind seven seconds button back just to like look and see if the ball was in his hand before he took that second step because he makes it really close. I think DeLon Wright has sort of mastered it. And you know what I think it is? I think it's your ability to sell it, right? It's true. So you could do your three steps, but if you look like the third step was only uh, a second step, then I think you can get away with it. So let me just go to see what the uh, NBA refs said. They say, uh, this is not a travel. It is a legal move. Watch closely. Harden picks up the ball with his right foot still on the ground. This doesn't count as a step. He then steps with his left foot, then again with the right foot for a one-two count. So I think what they're getting at there is uh, 
as he takes his first step that people would assume would be his first step, it's actually a gather step because once he takes that step, then he picks up the ball and then goes for his one to the right, one to the left uh, thing. Uh, do you guys feel like the Euro step is fair? I do. I Again, like I... To me, I think the Euro step is amazing to watch. It's one of those sort of tricks that they kind of you can get away with, and it, it works perfectly. And if I had to pick, I guess a best Euro step moment so far this year, it's when Delon did it on Manu Ginobili, oh, yeah. the man who's known for his Euro step. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. just even I think Delon said it after the game when I did it on Manu. It you know it it, it was it's one of those moments you only dream of in video games. So right. that that that's been the best moment I think for me, and uh, it's huge. That's amazing. Amazing. All right, so unfortunately, uh, we won't be able to do the, the, I guess, the nation's favorite podcast segment, the uh, Diamond Pizza-sponsored Greg's Gripe, uh, unofficially not sponsored by Diamond Pizza. Um, (laughs) But anyways, our last segment of the show, uh, I know, Graffin, you got a few takes on NBA sport betting. Uh, What can you tell our listeners? Okay, so yeah, well, just NBA betting. Do you guys bet on the NBA at all, just out of curiosity? To see if I'm I'm talking to myself here or not? The extent of my... uh, NBA betting is uh, being a co-commissioner, co-owner of a fantasy basketball team with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the twenty-dollar fantasy fee we put yeah, in exactly, at the start of the year. Exactly, big, big, big money in that league. So unfortunately, I am addicted to betting on basketball, and wow. I really like betting on in-game in-game basketball uh, bets. But there were a few. So the games have already started tonight, but there was a few games I was going to say to look out for. Um, the other night, this is one of the things I was going to say is if if anyone's out there wants to learn how to bet on basketball, one easy way that I think to get in is you wait for a good team to go down in the middle of a game and you bet on them in-game. Three nights ago, it was, I think, the 76ers and the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors went down by 20 points with, I think, three minutes left Mm -hmm. in the second quarter. The odds go to 9-1 to for the Warriors to win. They came back, ended up having a 44-13 to run in the third quarter, like they always do. And in the end of the day, you could have got easy sort of, like, easy money. This happens with the Spurs, not so much the Cavaliers, but the Rockets. What do you think tonight, for example? Let's say the Miami Heat, Boston Celtics... Right now, they're winding down the end of the first quarter. Heat are up right now 11, 27 to 16. Would that be a sound in-game bet to make for the Boston Celtics? So right now, the odds on that are 310. Um, so three, you get three dollars and ten cents for every dollar you put in, basically, which is great. Three to one, three to one's good odds. I, I'm one of those people who sort of will wait on that. I'll, I'll wait till the third quarter. Uh, for me, again, the spot to pick a good bet is at the end of the third quarter when a team sort of plays their second unit and they play them right into I don't know the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter. And there's a five minute gap there where the Fred Van Vliet's and the Delon Wrights are on the floor, and that's a chance for a team to come back. And that's usually where you see the most fluctuation in the betting line and all that fun stuff. But I would bet, again, Cleveland Cavaliers tonight were, I think, uh, $1.77 to beat Brooklyn uh, before the game started. They're they're definitely going to win that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a few no-brainers that you can look at. And I think, just remember, if you put $100 in a team to win $50, that's great. Those are good, solid odds. Don't don't try to fight for those amazing, amazing odds. Um, I like the concept of basketball betting. Am I I degenerate? Whenever whenever I think of NBA betting, I think of like... Keanu Reeves and like hardball and like he's like betting in the bar and like he's like invests his entire life in this like fucking Celtics game and like the mafia is gonna like break his kneecaps or something. 
Anyways, uh, if there's if there's one bet, I was gonna say right now the 76ers are beating the Trailblazers 47 34, mm-hmm. and it's six to one for the Trailblazers. To that beat the 76ers? to beat the 70s to come back and beat the, it is this. There's a minute left in the second quarter. This game is so early. I can see the Trailblazers easily catching fire and coming back in the third quarter. All right, guys, that is it for us. Thank you very very much for listening. Right now, the Raptors are up 34 26, about to start up the second quarter. We're gonna leave and catch the rest of that game right now. But, Three uh, 27 20. Very, very much for listening, and I want to give a special thanks to Javon Bigard for filling in for Gregory Yeroshadis today. No worries, no worries. Thank, Thank you, you so very much, much for having me. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And again, check us out on iTunes. Please subscribe. Give us your feedback. Five-star rating, maybe? Yeah? Come on. Peace.